We are going to begin again a new kind of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Judges. So a couple of things I want to um, kind of just hit off on Judges as we start by way of introduction. You know, Judges to me is like a, I don't know, it's kind of a, like, a, like a hidden book almost. You know, my brother called me a long time ago, and I was a pastor. I've been a pastor for probably about 10 years. And out of the blue, my brother calls me and he says, hey, um, I, I know the story of Samson is in the Bible, but I'm, I'm trying to find it. What book of the Bible can I read about Samson? And I'd been a Christian for 10, I've been a Christian for longer. I've been a pastor for 10 years and I didn't know the answer. And I was like, uh, well, um, I'm like trying to figure it out real quick. So I act like I know it, but find, to find out, you know, let me ask you guys, where do you find the, the story of Samson in the Bible? It's in your lap. It's open. It's in Judges. So we find it in Judges. So <clears throat> the Old Testament breaks up into basically three um, categories. You could kind of have a couple more if we consider Psalms and um, Proverbs as poetry. But basically, when Jesus said um, all of the law and the prophets, he was speaking basically of the Old Testament as a whole. And so the, the, the Jews to this day, when they consider the Old Testament, they consider the law, the prophets, and the third section would be the writings. And that's the way they call it. The law, the prophet, and the writings. The law, the prophets, and the writings. And so Judges fits into a category, a subcategory, under the, a period of Israel's history of the prophets, of the, of the judges. They're called judges, but they would act as a prophet or a um, the, the term could also mean savior. And basically God would raise up different judges or leaders and they would judge Israel. And through the book of Judges, we'll see that God's going to raise up. I think it's nine and they're not all men. There's a famous judge that God raised up by the name of Deborah. And Deborah was a female judge who, um, for whatever reason, we'll cover it when we get there, that God um, chose a woman over a man to be the one that God would speak to, to speak to the people of Israel. Now, in the book of Judges, one of the things that we'll see is that some of the, um, I don't know how to say this, the most difficult passages to, to stomach, to swallow, to read stories happen within the book of Judges. I mean, terrible, terrible things that happen in the Bible happen in the book of Judges. And we'll, we'll get to them. But some of the stories are very difficult to, to, to like get or to understand, not so much understand, but just to feel. And if you know what I'm talking about in judges is recorded, the story where the guy sends his two virgin daughters out to be raped and just lots of, lots of stuff in the book of judges. But the book of judges is a period of, of, um, Israel's history that they weren't doing so well. And so they, you know, as Joshua said, and the Lord said in the law, there was two types of covenants that God made, right? There's a covenant that God says, regardless of what the people do, I'm going to fulfill the covenant. And then there's another covenant that, that God gives that um, is, has like an if clause to it. If you do this, then God will do that. And, and even within the, um, the unconditional covenant, like the one that God made with Abraham, and then, and then kind of layered over the top of that was conditional promises. So God, how did he justify the two between the unconditional, that he was going to give them the promised land, they were going to stay in it, and then the if clauses in the other covenants that if they didn't obey, that there was going to be consequences. And basically what God did was he did both. And he brought them out of the land and they went into captivity three different times in Israel's history. They went into different captivities and then God brought them back. And ultimately today, where are the people? They're in the land. And so even though they were dispersed for 1900 years, the unconditional covenants that God made with his people are fulfilled in that, that God um, 
is, has the people in the land. But again, one of the things that we've been studying on Sunday mornings, and this kind of just fits in for where we are in Judges, and we'll just get into it here in a minute, but I just wanted to set it up with this, that, um, you know, sometimes in our Christian walk, we, we, we struggle, and, and we, maybe we are that Christian, maybe we know Christians like this, that we have seasons of doing well. And, you know, the term that we use is being on fire for God and really being, you know, going for it with the Lord. And then other seasons where maybe because of sin, maybe because of apathy, maybe because of other reasons in our lives, we're really not in that place where, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time with the Lord. We're feeling the Lord um, close to us. His voice is difficult to discern and to hear. And, you know, and even more importantly, we're not feeling God using us to do things for him and by him and through him. And we, we go through these kind of seasons, you know, and I've seen it and being in the church and, you know, for a long time and a staff pastor, I've, I've watched certain lives and, you know, it seems to happen that way. They come and things are going well and everything's good. And usually, not usually, but sometimes what happens is God begins to bless them in their finances and in their business. And, you know, they're serving the Lord and they're, they're you know, and all of a sudden, fruit is, is, is happening in their lives. And then as a result, they, you know, they, they don't have enough time and then they they miss church for a week and then they miss for two weeks and then you don't see them for six months. And, you know, and then they're, they're, they're kind of backslidden. I don't really like that term backslidden as much, but they're, they're missing. And then something tragic or something happens in their life and they come back. Well, that, that's the, the story of judges. The nation of Israel is going to turn their back on God. And they're going to have a good season where they're going to repent and God's going to bring a judge and they're going to, um, he's going to speak to the people and they're going to get right. They're going to repent and then slowly but surely they're going to slide. And then, and then they're going to come back and then they're going to slide and then they're going to come back. And, and, the, and the reason why it's important and the reason why it's applicable for us is because we, we can look at these things, these stories from the Old Testament and we can say that this is New Testament living. And that's the thing that I've been trying to stress for us as we study the Old Testament. You know, some people say, well, why, why do you guys do that, Pastor Chris? Why do you, you know, as, you, as you're going to see, as we kind of, you know, it's not always exciting. It's not always like, like being on a roller coaster as we, you know, work our way through the Old Testament books. But here's what happens in your life, in my life as believers. When you take the word of God and you do what you're doing tonight, you show up on a Wednesday night to study through the book of Judges. You, you get layers of character that God builds on your life that you don't even know is happening. And when, and when you know these stories and you know these, these happenings of the Old Testament and of God's people and of God's word, then it creates layers of character that God uses to build faith, that God uses to build victory in your life. And it gives you such a, a more well-rounded um, Christianity and understanding of those things. So I commend you guys. I, I commend us for, for doing this. And I just want to tell you there's fruit in it. You know, the thing is, it's not always exciting, especially Wednesday nights. You guys come, you guys worked all day. You got to get up early tomorrow. I get it. You know, that it's, it's hard. I've been where you're sitting and sometimes it's like sermons, not necessarily bad. It's just, it's been a long day and you're looking at another long day tomorrow. And so, but there's a value in it. So before we start judges, turn with me real quick to, um, first Corinthians chapter 10 and, and really, um, I, I want to lay this foundation as we begin judges, with this, and I do this probably every time we start a new book in the Old Testament, um, remind you guys of these truths, but, but they are valuable and they're real. And I'm not just, you know, I want to, I want to hammer them and because they, 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 they're just true. But it says in first Corinthians chapter 10 in verse about number 11 there, it says, now all these things happen to them as examples and they were written for our admonition 
upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians is all about Old Testament examples. And so Paul is, is rehearsing there to the Corinthians things that were happening in the Old Testament that are applicable to their lives in the New Testament. So the, the Old Testament are, or the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The New Testament is, or the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Try that. The New Testament, start there, is in the Old Testament concealed. The New Testament is, is found in the Old Testament concealed, hidden. Okay? The Old Testament is, is found in the New Testament revealed. So, example, um, Colossians chapter 2, Paul talks about a great mystery. Remember we've studied that? The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That was an Old Testament, that was a New Testament truth that was concealed in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was hidden, it was concealed, and they, they had the New Testament hidden in the Old Testament. And then by the time we get to the New Testament, Paul takes the things that were hidden and he reveals them. And so, again, the, the, the pictures and everything, it's, it, to me, it, it really helps me appreciate the glory of God. In his ability to use real lives and real stories that as he records them, that they mean something, that they teach me something, that God orchestrated history and what was going to be modern day Christianity through the, the lives of these stories. So then the other one, just so you can have it in your footnote, is in the Gospel of Luke um, in chapter 24. And this is where Jesus appears to the two guys on the road to Emmaus. And it says, then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would not have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And now he went to stay, and it came to pass, as he sat at the table, he took bread, and he blessed, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished in their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So um, look at verse number 27 of Luke 24. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So that's Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And it says, Beginning at Moses, he expounded all the things in the Old Testament concerning him. So go back to Judges and we'll begin um, our study through Judges. And we will see what becomes really the depravity of Israel. It says, now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered them into his hand. And so Judah said to Simeon and his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. So um, just real quick on the Canaanites. When you, when you hear that word Canaanite, that, that's like saying American. You know, the Canaanites were 
The list is the one we've read a hundred times, but within the Canaanites, the Canaanites was a large group of people that consisted of lots of different tribes and races and ethnicities and groups. And, and so when you hear the term Canaanites, that's, that's all inclusive of the people that were indigenous to the land of Israel. Now, the, 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 the individual groups are when we read that list, like the Hittites, the whatever they are, the Sivites and the flashlights and the termites and the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Fidites and all that group is, is the individual groups. But the first thing that, 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 that happens is they, they came to the Lord and they said, who's going to go up first? And the Lord, the Lord chose Judah. And it says in verse five, it says, and they found a Adonai Bezak in Bezik. I guess if I'm going to find Adonai Bezik, I guess I'd look in Bezik is where I'd find Adonai Bezik and, and fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And then Adonai Bezik fled and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. He was defeated. (laughs) You guys should not laugh at that. That's retarded. And Adonai Bezak said 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table as I have done. So God has repaid me and they have brought him to Jerusalem and there he died. So why would they cut off their thumbs and their big toes? Who knows? No, I'm just kidding. Um, there, there's, you know, exactly. So you, without a thumb, you know, you, you can't do a ton of things. You definitely can't fight or hold a sword. If you don't have your big toes, you're, you're not very nimble and you, you don't fight well. You can't run very far. And so it would have been, you know, I guess customary among the Canaanites that when they captured folks and the Canaanites were, were traditionally very brutal people. And so this particular king, when they captured 70, he had captured in some point 70 different um, tribes of people. And he took each one of their kings and he cut off their thumbs and their big toes. And he says they ate scraps at his table. So he didn't, you know, they were like slaves and they were, you know, they weren't fed well and they ate what was left over. They ate out of the trash bins. And then when Israel captured him, for whatever reason, this is not necessarily a Jewish custom, but they, they followed suit of things that they were picking up from the Canaanite cultures. And they did the same thing to this king. They cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And he said, you know, basically what comes around goes around. And he said, you know, it is a little bit of a biblical lesson, you know, and sometimes you, um, you, you feel that way. And I don't know that God's always necessarily um, responsible or doing it. You know, I know people that feel like, you know, for everything bad you do, then something bad happens to you. And God made that happen. Like God's repaying you. But I don't know necessarily that, um, I wouldn't say that that's not the case. But I, I know in the grace of God, right, some things we do bad, God forgives. And God, God lets them go. And not necessarily like it's always tit for tat with the Lord. And sometimes in spite of us, the Lord blesses us. But without a doubt, um, you know, there, there is a basic principle in life that is true. That you reap what you sow. And that if you're, you know, if, if you're constantly you know, angry at people all the time, what are you going to find? You're going to find people angry at you. If you're constantly, you know, rude to people all the time, you know, you're going to find that people are rude to you. And, and, and some of those things that you, that you sow into your life, that's biblical. You'll reap back. That's new Testament. You know, what a man sows that will he also reap. That's why in the areas of grace and mercy, you know, if I have a choice, I always like to be on the side of grace and mercy. And when somebody does something against me or towards me or when I'm in the opportunity to extend grace, I always try to extend grace knowing that what I would want if I was the one 
that I would want grace. I would want mercy. And so I extend that. I always err on the side of grace. I always err on the side of mercy because I, I know that it's going to be measured back to me with the same measure that I use to measure it out. And, and that happens. And, you know, some people, what's funny about certain people, you know, and you may know people like this who have a tendency to be um, just rude. And just sometimes they just say things that are cutting. And, you know, so, some of the folks that I knew in my life that were that way and just, you know, you kind of had to walk on eggshells around them and you're afraid to, you know, what they were going to, they might bark at you or attack you. They were always the folks that got their feelings hurt the fastest. They were always hurt about something. They are always upset about something, you know, and I was like, you know, you should look in a mirror and see that, you know, that, that what comes around goes around. And so there, there is a principle. And one of the principles of Christianity, you guys will move on, is um, just be kind and be nice. It's something that Paul taught us. We studied in Colossians this weekend. You know, a big part of just, you know, he, he says, do not be angry, do not have wrath, and do not have malice. Put those things off. And then he goes on, say, putting on tender mercies and kindness and above all love you know, and I, I think it's important for us to remember as Christians, you know, there, there is a call of God on your life. There is a call of God on my life. And, and, it, and it can be um, lived out very simply with just being nice. Just be kind to folks. Just find a way. If somebody offends you, don't be offended because you're offended that you're offended. You know, and sometimes people are upset and they're, they're always just bothered that they're bothered that they're bothered, you know, and it bothers them that they're bothered that somebody's bothering them that they're bothered. And, you know, you get in this vicious cycle of being bothered all the time. And here's just another little thing I'll throw in for free. You guys didn't pay for this one, but, you know, and, and I've known people like this too. Everywhere they go, they had their kids. I'll just use one example I can think of off the top of my head. You know, kids in five different schools. And you know what happened in five different schools? The, those teachers hated his kids. Those teachers had a problem with his kids. And this and this and this and this. And, you know, five different schools. And he's telling me the story. And I'm like, can you not see it? Is it not completely obvious that if everywhere you go, there's a problem? Guess who the problem's with? Problem's not with five different schools and five different sets of teachers. Problem is with your kids. The problem is with you. And, and just, again, just as a wake-up call for us, if, if everywhere you go, the, you know, this person's rude and this person's rude and you can't get along with this person and this problem and this problem and this problem, it's time to look in the mirror because probably the problem is you. But so this guy, he just understood that, you know, he had some, and, and again, like I said, I, I, I do think there's, there's a real economy in God's economy that this guy felt like he had some, some bad juju and, you know, he had put off some, some uh, you know, some evil things and now evil was coming back to him. And then it says um, in verse number nine or verse number eight, it says, now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it and they struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. So this isn't considered really the first conquest of Jerusalem, although it's called Jerusalem here, but the, the Israel never really inhabited it or never really took it. And it was later in David in King David's time. It, um, it was controlled again by the Canaanites and King David and his men went in and actually took Jerusalem for the first time and inhabited it and then made Jerusalem the capital city um, and where David built his fortress in the city of David, which is still there to this day. But they went in and they burned it. And it says in verse, 10, uh, verse number nine, and afterward, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains uh, in the south and in the lowlands. And then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. 
And now the name of Hebron was formerly Kirjath Arba, and they killed Shishash and that other guy. And it says, um, and from there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kirjath Sefer. And then Caleb, who attacked Kirjath Sefer and takes and takes it to him, I will give my, I'm sorry, then Caleb said, so we have Caleb here, and um, Caleb, Caleb is talking, and, he, and this is recorded for us, we've already studied this in Joshua, but it's interesting that God repeats it here, whoever will take this city, he'll give his daughter as a wife, in verse 13, Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, so he gave him his daughter, Achish, as a wife, and now it happened when she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field and she and she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her what do you wish and she said give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south give me also springs of water and Caleb gave her the upper springs what does it say and the lower springs so um you know part part of this and this is repeated like this same story if you guys remember I think it was one of the last chapters we were studying in Joshua that Caleb comes and this daughter comes and Caleb gave her the upper springs. He, he, he promised um, this guy to be her, her husband, whoever takes this city and Othniel takes the city, he gives her a wife and he sends with her the upper springs. And then when she goes to be with her husband, she says, well, that, that's not good enough. What's my dad thinking? Like, you know, I got him wrapped around my finger. Let's go back. We're going to ask him for the lower springs too. But she does. She comes back and, and, and it says that Caleb gives her the upper springs and the lower springs. And, and, and the fact that God repeats it twice, there's something in it. And what, basically what we talked about last time we went through, it was just this principle of wanting all that God has for you in your life. You know, wanting all the blessings that God has for you. Really, part of the, the, the struggle and part of the thing that we're going to unpack here tonight is that, that there was a conquest going on, that, that the nation of Israel was given a, a tremendous amount of blessing and a tremendous amount of land, and they never possessed it because they never went out and possessed the things that God possessed in their lives. And, and here we have this example right in the beginning here where God is making a, a point to say the second time to want all that he has and, and expect not, okay, you gave me a blessing, the upper springs, I want the lower springs as well. God gives you Tooele Springs and you want the other springs as well. We, you know, if God gives us, um, what's that? Grantsville Springs, right? We want, you know, we want the upper and the lowers and we're constantly wanting to expand. And if we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. And, you know, we're constantly wanting to gain new territory in our, in our Christian walk and in our lives and, you know, possessing your possessions. The thing that I share is in, you know, in, in Ephesians chapter one, we read it again on Sunday. It says that God has given you every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. How many of you guys just walk around with your heads held high because you have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places? None of you, myself included. You know, and we, we, we don't feel that way all the time. But that, that's what the Word of God says. God says He's given you every spiritual blessing under heavenly places. But part of the, the, the life lesson of Christianity, you guys, is we have to possess our possession. We, we have to fight. We have to do spiritual battle. When, when can you stop fighting? When, at what age will, will you just put it in cruise control? When you're dead. When, and that's when life gets good anyways. That's what we're living for anyways. You, you, know, you know what part of the attitude of the nation of Israel was right here? Part of their attitude was they wanted to rest. They wanted a break. 
They, they'd worked hard. They had some land. They, they had only possessed less at this, at this point, less than 10% of what they were supposed to possess. The most they ever got of all the land that God promised them was 10%. And, and they were happy with that. And even before that, they were ready just to rest and do nothing. But do you know what happens when we stop fighting and we want to rest from spiritual battles and from, from the trials and the fights and the things that happen in our lives? We struggle. We go backwards. We, 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 we fall into sin. We, we, we have, there's defeat. All of those battles, listen, all of these struggles, all of these um, hard things you go through in your Christian walk, they're by design. Somebody say amen. amen. No, we don't feel that way, right? But does that not put real truth to what, what, what James tells us right in the beginning, right? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. There's a process, you guys, of, of living this life that's not supposed to be easy. We're supposed to fight. It's, it's a four quarters. I mean, we've got to play all four. We gotta, we're never going to just put it in cruise control. And as soon as you think that, you know, I just want to take this mountain and I want to do this for the Lord. And then once we conquer this, then let's just possess it and just, just that's enough. It's never good enough because once we get in that position and we stop fighting and we stop growing, we, we, we lose. We move backwards. We get defeated. We fall back into sin. And so, um, hey, one thing I, I want us to look at really quick that, that was in the intro that I missed. I just saw it in the note. But I want you to see it real quick before we move on. Hey, see if you can find the last chapter and the last verse in the book of Judges real quick. If you're using an app, then the reference is... I don't know. Judges 21, 25. If you're turning pages, you can just turn to the end of Judges. 21, 25. Now, all of the book of Judges, we have to remember. And, and I want you to keep this in context. I'll remind us each week as we go through Judges this verse. But I want you to keep this in context as we, we go through and we see some of the really depraved things that, that, you know, God's people do. Some of the things that are hard for us as Christians to stomach that happened on God's watch. But um, it says in verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 21, 25. You guys there with me? 21, 25. And in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That, that's the story of the book of Judges. The, 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 the Proverbs, and the Proverbs, King Solomon tells us, There's a way that seems right to men, but it's in thereof is death. There's a way that seems right to you and I, but it's in its way, it's in thereof is death. And so unless it's God's way, unless we stay on it. And what happened in this time in Israel's history, it's very sordid, is that each one did what was right in his own eyes. And it, and it ended up in destruction. And it ended up in, in, in this depravity that we're going to see here through this chapter of just really, you know, a lot of defeat in the, in the lives of Israel. And one of the reasons why, part of the reason why was because they had no leadership. You know, and it's good to have good leadership. It's good in our nation to have good leadership from the top, you know, in our own lives. And there's a, there's a reason why God puts leadership. And there's a reason, you know, and when Joshua was a great leader, and Joshua gives the, the, the people in Israel here, he gives them this, this call at the end of his life. And to, to me and you, it seems like it should have just made so much sense. And basically what Joshua said, he said, if the Lord is God, then serve him. But if Baal is God, then serve him. And you think, yeah, that makes sense. And then what does Joshua say after that? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you read that and you go, yeah, it just makes so much sense. And then what side are we on? 
well, it's for me and my house. Yeah, I'm with you, Joshua. We'll serve the Lord. What did the, what did the people respond when Joshua said that to them? They said, yeah, you're right. We're, we're with you, Joshua. We're, we're going we're gonna to serve the Lord too. And what did Joshua say to them? He said, nope. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you can't. Because, because they had idols in their house and they, had, they hadn't torn down the high places and they hadn't repented and they hadn't put off the things that Joshua knew that, that were going to end in, in destruction. And he didn't want no lip service. He wanted actual fruit. John the Baptist said, show fruits worthy of repentance. And, and so, but this, this idea is, again, it's relevant to your life and my life. Doesn't it make sense? Is there a God in heaven? Like some, some of us, we're, we're good with that idea. Like we don't, we don't have to argue about it. We don't have to like debate it. But then the, then, the, then the next question is, since there's a God in heaven, shouldn't we serve him with our whole hearts? And, and if there's really a God in heaven, why, why do we go around the same mountains of sin and of defeat? And, you know, are we going to see Jesus someday? Is, is at least the resurrection of Jesus, you know, if, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, then the rest is true. You know, and if any of you guys want to start a religion, you know, it's possible. You make a lot of money in religion. Religion's, you know, some of the wealthiest things that we, we could get rich. I'll follow you. You want to start a false religion? I'll be your first convert. All you got to do is die, be, be dead for three days and raise again the third day. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I got you. You know, and so far as I can tell, there's only one that's ever done that. And that's Jesus is the only one that's ever died and rose again. And it is the key to Christianity. But if it's true, the rest is true. And with that simple just way of thinking, then we, we should follow him, but with our whole hearts. And unfortunately, the nation of Israel did not. We're going to cover two chapters today. We're on track, right? And it says, um, the upper springs and the lower springs in verse 16. Now the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms, with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went up and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother Simeon and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zapath and, and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. And also Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory and Ekron with its territory. So some of these things you guys are going to read about, we will see. Um, for those of us that are going to, whoa, that thing wanted to run. For those of us who are going to Israel in November, we'll be in some of these places. Um, you guys, Gaza, they talked about Gaza in verse 18. The Gaza is still there to this day. Do you know what you find in Gaza? Palestinians. We, we've, we've never been to Gaza. We probably will never go to Gaza on our tours. It's, it's where the Palestinians are in, 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 uh, in the Gaza Strip. But some of these places we'll read about are still there. But, you know, the, 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 some of these same Canaanites are still in the land and Gaza is still there to this day. In verse 19, so the Lord was with Judah and they drove out the mountaineers. But they, had, they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron to Caleb and from there the three sons of Anak. Oh, excuse me. Then he expelled from there the three sons of Anak. Do you remember that Caleb said at late in his life, give me the land where the giants are? 
And so the three sons of Anak would be um, three giants. Probably, you know, in the in the study of the giants, what we find is that Goliath was not um, exceptionally large compared to the giants that, that that we find in history that we find in the Bible. Um, if a, if a cubit by today's standard was 16 inches, and that's basically from the inside of your elbow to the tip of your finger. And they average that. And so that, that average is about 16 inches. And, and based on that measurement, we, we guesstimate Goliath to be 9 feet 6 inches tall. So he was, six in, he was just under 10 feet. But by, you know, by giant standards, Goliath wasn't the largest giant we find in history by far. He would have been a, almost the a smaller of the, the group of these giants. But there was giants there. Caleb asked for the land where the giants were, and that's what he got. And he went in and he, and he put them out. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And so that's, that's to the day that this was written, that these Canaanites weren't dispelled because the nation of Israel just, they, they didn't drive them out. And they didn't drive these, these things, these sins out of their lives as, as we would put it today. You know, and that we go around the same mountain over and over and over again in our lives. And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel and the Lord was with him. And so the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. And the name of the city was formerly Luz. You guys want to live in Luz? And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, please show us the entrance of the city and we will show you mercy. And so he showed them the entrance of the city and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city and called its name Luz, which it is to this day. And so, so typical of human nature. There's a guy, he's living in Luz. Things are not going well. It's, it's, it's bad. And, and, and Israel shows up and by the grace of God, he's the one person who doesn't die by the edge of the sword. And they let him go and they give him a fresh start. And, and, and the place is, is, is known as Bethel. Bethel means house of God. But rather than stay in the house of God with God, he goes to a, a, a distant place and he starts up a whole new city. And what does he call it? Luz. Like he returns, you know, the Bible says that a dog returns to its vomit. That's a description of how you and I will return to decisions and lifestyles in our life that are, that are so destructive to us. That's why, that's why God says that it describes us as sheep. Do you know why we're, we're likened unto sheep in the Bible and in life? Because sheep are dumb animals. And that's the truth. And sometimes we're, 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 we're not very bright. And like that dog that returns to his vomit, that's what Luz is doing. All the decisions that brought this guy to where he was, he's got a clean start, he's, he's been delivered, he's been set free, and in his flesh he goes back. And human nature is exactly the same way, and that's part of the lesson of Judges for you and I. And I think if I look at my own life, I'm guilty. I'm guilty in certain places. I, I think that you would probably find that you're guilty in certain places of your lives. But we, we, we want to use it again, that, that as, as it says in Corinthians, that these things will, will teach us and admonish us to move forward. Like, you know, you take criminals, for example, and I don't know what the number is today. I couldn't quote it, but I know it's high. You know what the recidivism rate is among our criminals in the United States? It's like in the 80s or 90 percentile. It's through the roof. And, and really, the, the only ones that, that rehabilitate or that don't end up back in prison, not only ones, but the majority of those that, that, that 
come out of the prison system and don't go back are Christians, are ones that really give their life to Jesus. It has nothing to do with the prison system. You, you, you know, there's a tendency, and there's a certain type of woman that gravitates to a, to a man that'll beat her. And that's just the case. And you know what happens if she gets, she gets set free and she gets kind of freedom from, from a, an abusive husband or, or boyfriend that would beat her? She finds another one. And then another one. And, and you know, and, and it's a tendency. It's a tendency to return to love. It's a human nature that, you know, that, that we, we battle. You know, and you, you know somebody who's been married three times, four times, five times, six times? Again, that goes back to the whole thing like, You've been married six times? Maybe the problem's not the six other people you've been married to. Maybe the problem is you took yourself into the sixth marriage and the seventh marriage and the eighth marriage. And until you fix yourself, it's, it's not the other person. The problem is you. And, and, but again, you know, the, the, the heart, you guys, the, the lesson that God's giving us is, is not to return to our vomit. And, and we so do that. You know, has God delivered you from a sin? Has God delivered you from a lifestyle? And, and then, you know, you, you walked in that and, and, and then you find yourself going back or you find yourself falling into that again. It's a warning and God doesn't want us to do that. And in love, God wants us to have victory over those things. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. But that is human nature. And that's something that, that we got we to gotta war against. And so... Um, in verse 27, it says, However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth-Shean and the villages of, of Tenak and its villages and the inhabitants of Dor and the villages of the inhabitants of even the villages of the inhabitants of Megiddo. And da, 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 da. So um, part of the problem is they, they just they didn't drive out the, the Canaanites. You know what part of the problem is in your life and my life in the area of sin? We don't drive out the sin in our lives. We don't drive out the, the things that, that cause that sin. You know, we allow certain things. We allow, you know, may, maybe, you know, you've had a problem with, you know, certain things that you're watching on your computer or on your TV. And then we allow those same avenues and those same abilities to tempt us in the same places that they've always been. And we don't get rid of them. Or we don't think do things in our life to cut them off. And that's why the Bible says that you can never, um, you, have to, you have to annihilate sin in your life. You have to crucify it. You have to cut it off. We talked about it again on Sunday. You got you to gotta annihilate it. Any of you guys ever try to cut back on sin? Any of you guys try to sin just a little bit less? We try, right? You've been an alcoholic and you want to just drink a little less? You've been a smoker and you want to just smoke a little less? How does that work out for us? Not, not real well, right? And, and, and God knows this. And that's why, again, the biblical prescription for sin in your life and my life is to annihilate it, is to cut it off, is to eradicate it, is to be violent against it. And, and basically, this is a whole picture for you and I that paints a picture that the nation of Israel failed because they didn't get violent against these, these sins or these things in their lives that brought the flesh back in and allowed the flesh back in. And they, they never drove these folks out. And so um, for the next like seven verses um, to the end of that chapter, again, the, the title of that section is Incomplete Conquest of the Land. And, and really it was their Achilles heel is that they, they wanted to rest. They didn't want to fight and, and they just wanted to rest. And so they wouldn't, they wouldn't go and, and possess their possessions. And it became a huge problem in Israel's history. Okay. And again, we've already talked about it, but 
I just want to encourage you guys. There's no time to rest. Who wants to rest? That's boring. You know what happens to, to folks when they retire? They die. Do you know why men die before their wives? Because they want, because they want to. That has nothing to do with it. But, um, but no, seriously, you, you, watch, you, know, you watch your parents. You watch your grandparents. You watch folks in your life, your aunts and your uncles, and you know, pretty healthy. And then they retire. And they, you know, if they retire and they stay really busy in their lives, their health stays okay. But you'll, you, you can watch. If, if you retire and they start sitting home and watching more TV and doing a lot, all of a sudden, like, you know, in a very short time, somebody who was healthy and worked hard for lots of years and at 65 retires and, you know, is doing well. But then from 70 to 71, all of a sudden just health falls off. And they stop. They just stop living. They stop doing. They started resting and taking it easy. And you know, it's never good for us. You know, even for pastors. You know, I, I don't. I don't. You know, none of the none of the the pastors that are above me or examples for me ever retired. You know, and, and even in Calvary Chapel, you you don't see it. You know, they just they work until they die, and and for good reason. You know, Pastor Chuck preached until the day he died. And, and, and it's what keeps us healthy and just continuing to fight, continuing to battle. And, you know, one of the things we've been telling the men, too, in our men's study is we, we challenged the men and we, we, we were real serious about it. And we said, you know, don't take it lightly and don't just do it because you, you know, we're, we're talking about it. But do it when you mean it, when God prepares your heart. But pray for trials in your life. Like, what? But seriously, when's the last time? If any of you guys, let me see show of hands. When's the last time you just really prayed and asked God to give you lots of trials and testing and tribulation and hard stuff in your life? <laughs> right? Like, it's just something we don't do. But, but the truth is, you know, you, you want to grow in Jesus? Ask God for some trials in your life. Ask him for some testing. Really seek him and say, Lord, I, I really give me something hard. Give me something that will build character. And that's what it does in our lives. It builds character. It builds trial. But what do we do? We do just the opposite. You know, we, 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 want to, we want everything to be so smooth and never have any problems. And every time we have a problem, you know, half the time we got to talk each other off the ledge because, you know, you got a stubbed toenail and God hates you and your life's over because you stubbed your toenail. You know, and believe me, I'm a pastor. I spend a lot of hours talking you guys off the ledge because the trials are so hard in your life, you know. And don't get me wrong, I, I do the same thing. I just tell my wife. I don't tell you guys. And, and then she talks me off the ledge, but... You know, the reality is that's, it's all by design. Don't be discouraged in it. Don't let it get under it. It's, it's, it's part of what God's, God, God does to build us up. All right, we're going to jam through chapter two and then we'll call it a night. It says, then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land, which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. So, um, we have another appearance here. Now, right in the beginning, Joshua died. Now, whenever you see this term in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, um, it's, it's pretty um, common, right? That, that, that when we see that term in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, that it's talking about who? It's talking about Jesus. Some clues here. Sometimes we can see angels in the Old Testament. And they're real angels. Okay, we look for clues. We look for them. But this here where it's the and, and it's not like the, there's a difference between the apple and the apple, right? This is the one. Well, this is the angel of the Lord. And, he, and then even the, what he says, now the last time, not that long ago, 
Jesus appeared. We saw a Christophany in the Old Testament in the life of Joshua. At the end of Joshua's life, remember the armies were gathered for battle. And, and it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua. And Joshua came up to him and, and he said, are you for us? Or are you against us? And, and the angel of the Lord said, wrong question. Are you for me? Or are you against me? Are you for the Lord? And so that was Jesus appearing to Joshua. Now, short time later, which usually these are kind of seems like they're spread out more throughout the Old Testament. But, but right here in the beginning, I love it that God shows up and Jesus shows up and, and the people are getting ready to go south. And, you know, there's a principle there, too, of Jesus showing up in your life, because the Bible says that, that God has not given you a temptation that he hasn't also given you a way out. And for any temptation you fall in, you're without excuse. You know, I hear men and I hear women and I hear people give excuses for their sin. You know, I had a brother who who just couldn't stay faithful and, and, and struggle with sexual sin and was was popular with the ladies and was married. And fell over and over again. And he says to me, well, you, you just don't have the same temptation that I do. Like, I just really have it stronger than most men in this area. Is that true? Do some people have it more stronger than other people in that area? Another area, no, they give into it more, but but there's there's no temptation that that's overset you, which is common to men. The Bible says so. So the reality is that no, that that's an excuse for that guy. He doesn't have it more heavy than I do. He gives into it more, or he falls into it more, or he you know. And yeah, different things tempt different people. I get it. And some things that might tempt one brother don't tempt another brother. But no, nobody's got it worse. I mean, and God's given us all a way out. And those are excuses. Those are, those are lies from the devil. Those are an excuse in your sin. God has given you a way out. So the angel of the Lord shows up here and you could tell because he says, I led you up from Egypt. Who led him up from Egypt? The Lord did. Jesus did. And he said, I brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers and which I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Now, I already explained just briefly, but he's going to what seem like what would seem like break his covenant because they're going to get kicked out of the land at times. But again, there's a two layer covenant. There's the unconditional covenant that God will never break. And then there's conditional covenants that layers on top of that, that, um, that, that God keeps as well, which means the people leave. In verse 2 it says, And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land, but you shall tear down their altars. But, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? I don't know why the Lord said that there. I never think that's effective. Not questioning you, Lord. I'm just asking. Um, so real quick here. God did not want them to make covenants with the Canaanites. Okay. Do you remember that group of people that came and they said their shoes were worn out and their sandals were old and, they, and, and Israel made a covenant with them because they didn't pray? But, but to this day, and, and I just want to make a little small plug for Israel to this day. It's not God's will that, that, that Israel makes covenants with the Arab nations that are around them. It's not God's plan. We've had leadership in Israel very, very recently, Ariel Sharon and, and different leaders in Israel, and their policy was to trade land for peace. In the 1967 war, Israel completely um, took Jerusalem back. We had the Temple Mount. Israel had the Temple Mount under its control. And, and in a peace deal, shortly after 1967, Israel gave the Temple Mount back to Jordan in order, to, in order for peace. Ariel Sharon, as, as a leader of Israel, was constantly in um, bargaining with Arafat and different Palestinian and Arab leaders, and he was trading land for peace. 
When Benjamin Netanyahu, he's been president of Israel on two different terms, and I don't know exactly how their politics work, but it's unlike American politics because you can be president and not president and come back and run again. For us, once you've served your eight years, you're done for life. But he's come back, and and there was a prophecy that was given to Benjamin Netanyahu, and it just happened to come through one of the Calvary Chapel um, um, pastors and leaders that was there. But a, a word of the Lord to Benjamin Netanyahu, spoken to him on American soil in Florida. And, and the prophecy was that he was no longer to trade land for peace. That God did not want him. And I'm sure God's confirmed this in other ways. And God has spoken to his heart. And God didn't need a Calvary Chapel pastor or American soil to do any of this. But that's just the way it happened. Or the way that he allowed us as a church to know it. And maybe that was the purpose for you and I to hear it today is that God spoke to Benjamin Netanyahu, you're not to trade land for peace anymore. And if you'll watch Benjamin Netanyahu's policies, he's very strong and he never trades land for peace. And it's never been God's intention and it doesn't work. Why don't, why would, I mean, they would do it, we would do it. We'd all be for it if it would work, but it doesn't work. Can't, you can't negotiate with these guys. And so, and it's God's land anyways. And so God doesn't want them trading land for peace then or now or ever. And they weren't supposed to make deals with the Canaanite tribes as they um, conquered them. In verse three, it says, therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side and they, and their God shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. And then, and then, then they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. And now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, did excuse me, did, died when he was 110 years old. So we already read this at the end of Joshua, just repeated here that, that Joshua died at 110 and they buried him within the border of the inheritance of Timnath, Herez in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. And when all the generations had been gathered to their fathers and another generation arose from from whom did not know the Lord nor the works which he had done for Israel. So this is a sad um, state of affairs here that the, the the next generation did not know the Lord. Now, why didn't they know the Lord? Was it the fault of the parents? Was it the, the decision of the choices of of the young people? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I, I know it's twofold, right? We, we, we as parents are told to raise up, and the nation of Israel is told in Deuteronomy 6, to train up a child in the way he, he should go. And as I tell you guys often, the biblical truth is it's not the church's responsibility to raise godly children. Okay, whose responsibility is it to raise godly children? It's the parents. Okay, the church's responsibility is to supplement, is to help, is to serve, is to come alongside, is to partner with you in that. But, but it's, it's our responsibility as parents to raise godly children. Now, we, we can do our best and, and children have a choice and they can rebel. Even God's own kids at times rebelled and God's not a bad father. But here, it's sad that the that this next generation that's rising up, they, they, they're not going to walk with the Lord. And they didn't know the Lord nor the works which he had done. And I don't know how these, you know, they just made choices. Because these stories would have been ready for them. And, you know, they should have known them. In verse 11, it says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods, 
from among the gods of the people who were all around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunders who, who despoiled them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so they could not longer stand before their enemies. And whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. And they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods, and they bowed down to them, and they turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord, and they, and they did so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judges and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved by pity to pity by their groanings because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. So um, it doesn't necessarily say they repented, but it's somewhat implied. And, you know, and, and again, as was kind of this this um, process that's going to happen is that people would sin. Then they would repent and then God would relent and God would pour out and God would help and God would deliver. And same thing in your life and my life. Okay. And, and sometimes we don't want to hide behind that. We don't use that as an excuse, but God will like you, you can blow it, blow it, blow it, blow it. But if you, you cry out to God, God will touch you. God will change your life. God will heal you. God will forgive you. God will use you again. And, and, and that's what he did with his people. And he never grew tired of it. I, I think, man, God should have grown tired of it by now. And he never does. And he never did. You know, the, the, the sad thing is in your life, in my life, if we want to live that life, we're never going to possess our possessions. We're never really going to live in the fullness of what God has for us. And, and someday, you guys, maybe it's going to hurt. Maybe we're going to know. Maybe God's going to show us someday. Or maybe just we're going to know because we're going to know him as we're known, as the Bible says. And we're going to get to see the potential that, you know, that would have been ours, that we missed out on, or the fruit that, that we let go because we, we just didn't want to follow the Lord. And and the, you know, there's, there's something I, I, I skipped over, you know, and the kind of the things I was jamming through, but it says that the, um, this other, they went up to one of these fights and one of the lands they didn't possess. And this other, this enemy had a bunch of chariots and they couldn't defeat the, the, this battle because the enemy had chariots. A couple of things. Do you remember when, um, the nation of Israel conquered that group and they, 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 they won all those chariots in battle, like 80 chariots or hundred chariots or something. And what did God tell them to do with them? You remember God said to destroy them, burn them. And, and they did, they were obedient. Now in this battle, we, like I said, I skimmed over it, but it's, it's right here. We just went by it that, um, had they had these chariots, they would have come in real handy and, and yeah, and they lost this battle and they weren't able to conquer it. And you might look at that in the flesh and think, well, if they had those those chariots, then they might have been able to win that battle. They would have come in real handy. And why would God tell them to destroy him? But but that's that's the blessing. That's the key. And that's where God wants us. That's the whole thing with tithing. That's the whole thing with giving is putting in ourselves in a position where unless God shows up and does a miracle, we're not going to win. And, and, and if let's say they had those chariots and they saved them and then they used them in this fight and conquered it. Then, then, then they got the glory and they got the credit and then something happened there. Or there was more trouble that was created in their lives because of that victory and because they were able to conquer it in the flesh. And God didn't want that. So God purposely put them in a place where they, they, he had to show up and do it in their lives. 
in your finances, in, in every part of your life. God wants you to live a little bit humble. God wants you to live a little bit um, in a position where he has to show up in your life to, to have the victory. And then when he gives you victory, you know that it was him. You know that it was God who did it. Do, do, you, do you think that they could have defeated those, this, that battle um, without the chariots? So the other guys had the chariots. They had their chariots, but they burned them. Now they show up and they're looking at this other army. And this other army is full of chariots. And it says they didn't go in and they didn't possess. They didn't conquer it because of the chariots. Could they have gone up without the chariots and won that battle? Absolutely, if God went with them. The, 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 the victory was never about their, their, their prowess in, in war or in, in strategy. It was always about the fact that God went with them. And they, they could have went up. Joshua went up. Or Caleb went up. And he slew a bunch of giants. I mean, real giants. Because it was the, not a matter of how many chariots, but the size of their God. And again, the lesson throughout this and in your life and in my life that we, we talk about is it's God's presence in your life. It's God showing up and putting yourself in a position where God has to show up in your life. And, and these, Israel, didn't, they had all they needed. They, you know, had God showed up. They would have had those victories. And, and again, thankful that God put them in a position that they had to rely on him. And be thankful in your life. Be thankful and always look for those opportunities that where, where God puts you in a, in a position of vulnerability or a position of humility or a position of struggle or a position of need. He did it on purpose because then when, you know, it's time, to sh- it's time for something to happen, he's got to show up and do it in your life. You got to pray. You got to seek him. You got to count on him. You got to spend time with him. And it came to pass when... In verse 19, when the judge was dead, that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following the other, the other gods to serve them and bow down to them. And they did not cease from their own doings or from their stubborn ways. And so he's just, he's just re- recording the kind of the merry-go-round that they started. God raised up a judge. They repented. They did well. The judge died. They went back to their own ways. Everything went bad. They repented. God raised up a judge. And verse 20, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because the nation has transgressed my covenant, I, I, which I commanded their fathers and has not heeded my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died. So that through them, I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hands of Joshua, isn't Joshua dead? So yeah, he's saying previously he never delivered them into the hand of Joshua. He left them there on purpose and and nor is he going to deliver them into the hands of the nation of Israel because of their sin and nor is God going to deliver the things into your hand and my hand sometimes because of the choices that we make. Amen? Amen. Amen. So stop going around that same mountain you guys have been going around so long. Do you get tired of seeing the same scenery all the time? Do you want to see something new? Don't you want a little taste of the glory? Yeah. Let's stand and let's pray. Let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray for each other. And, you know, I think, I think we can all at different times identify with the idea that, you know, we, we go around the same mountains in our lives sometimes. And some of those mountains, they're, they're sins, they're roadblocks that we've allowed in our lives that um, we, we compromise and, and, and sometimes as the nation of Israel, we, we're, we're content with just the 10%. And we just want to take a little nest egg or take a little piece of, of territory and just leave us alone. We just want our little piece and we don't want to grow and we don't want to move. And it always creates destruction in our lives. 
And sometimes God's given us the upper springs. And again, we're happy with that. But God's heart for you and for me is that we would want the upper springs and the lower springs. And so my heart for you tonight is that you desire the upper springs, the lower springs, that you desire all that God has for you. And, and that starts with the if clause and the conditional um, um, parts of the, the covenant that God makes with you and I. And part of the covenant is, is an if clause. Part of it is conditional based on obedience. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll be obedient to what I say. And so I just want to encourage us tonight, deal with those things in your life. You know, one of the questions I get is that, you know, and I've been there, is that you, you've repented of a sin so many times that you just feel stupid asking God one more time to forgive you of the same sin or asking God to deliver you of something that he's already delivered you from many, many times. And, and here's what I say. I say, ask again. Ask again. Repent again. Where, where do you leave yourself? You have to try again and always try again. And don't let the enemy lie to you because what we're going to see even through all of this is that God, when the people cry out to God, God's going to meet them where they are. And God is always hoping for the best and wishing for the best in your life that next time, you know, this will be the last time. But the enemy beats us up and, and defeats us because, again, we beat ourselves up. The Lord, Lord doesn't want to hear me. The Lord's, the Lord's tired of that, that lame excuse. And I've asked the Lord so many times and, and, and he doesn't want, he's just not going to do it again. Well, listen, the Lord's going to do it again because he's patient and because he loves you. And so whatever that, that scenery, whatever mountain that we're, we're, we're going around in our lives over and over and over again without victory, tonight's the night to lay it down and ask God to take it from you. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you and <clears throat> Father, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord. And Jesus, for some of us that, that just have mountains that we've, we've gone around many, many times, maybe big things in our lives, God, that you've set us free from and where we've gone back to. And like the guy who was delivered from Luz and brought to the house of God, and rather than stay in the house of God, he went and started a new Luz. And, and so, Lord, if those, those tendencies are in our lives, God, we, we repent tonight. Lord, we groan as the people groaned when you heard their groanings and you poured out to them and you raised up deliverers, you raised up saviors in the judges to help them. Lord, we pray that you'd raise up victory in our lives, God. And Lord, I know it starts with each one of us, Father, with a heart that wants all that you have for us. God, a heart that wants the upper springs and the lower springs. And Lord, an attitude that realizes that it's always a battle. It's always a fight. And that's a good thing. And, 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 and sometimes the life tells us and the enemy wants to tell us that if we're fighting or we're battling, that that's a bad thing or that we're losing. And that's never the case. It's always going to be a battle till the day we die. And we thank you for that because in that battle, we stay strong. In that battle, we stay close to you. Lord, we thank you that maybe in our lives, there's some areas where we had the chariots to fight with. And, and you told us and you called us to burn those chariots so that we had to trust you. And Lord, we want to trust you in every area of our lives, in our work, with our kids, in our finances, with Lord, with our challenges, with the struggles, with our ministries, that we would trust you, Lord. And for every trial and every everything we go through, we know it's you building character and it's more giants that are falling. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.